0: hi welcome to bookie which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio text and mind map please download bookie at apple store or google play with more features get your free mind snack now today we will unlock the book hillbilly elegy a memoir of a family and culture in crisis the book was written by j d vance who was born in middletown ohio within the rust belt While he is white, he is not a member of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, the first group to settle in the northeastern United States. Vance is of Scottish-Irish descent, and his community consists of mostly non-college-educated, working-class individuals whose ancestors had been brought over to American South as day laborers. The subsequent generations had worked as sharecroppers, coal miners, and factory workers. They have been called rednecks, White Trash, and Hillbillies, by other Americans, the last of which lends itself to the title of this book. Vance was only 31 years old when he wrote this memoir. At the time, he had no notable achievements. He hadn't been elected as senator or governor, nor had he started a company with a market value of $1 billion or a non profit organization that would change the world. In the first 31 years of his life, his biggest success was graduating from Yale Law School. However, this memoir written by a nobody became a bestseller on Amazon and in the New York Times, even earning recommendations from influential Silicon Valley figures such as Bill Gates and Peter Thiel, author of Zero to One. Hillbilly Elegy was also adapted into a movie directed by renowned director Ron Howard, whose filmography includes A Beautiful Mind and The Da Vinci Code. What makes this book so popular? then? There are two primary reasons. First, Vance's story is inspirational. For someone born into a poor, chaotic family in an impoverished city, success is a strange. Many people who share the same background find themselves in the deep end. Against all odds, however, Vance managed to move up the social ladder and become a self-made businessman. The second reason is societal. Not only does this memoir detail Vance's past, but it also reflects the living conditions of white-blue-collar workers, offering insight into a real facet of American society. Through Vance's perspective, readers can explore the challenges faced by the white American working class and learn the causes behind them. For this reason, many people regard Vance as the spokesman for white working-class Americans. Some critics even believe that this book, which articulates the mentality of said demographic, explains why Donald Trump was so well-liked among this demographic and how he came to win the 2016 election with their support. Now, let's dive into Vance's story in two parts. Part 1, Why do people like Vance struggle to escape poverty? Part 2, How did Vance achieve upward social mobility? Vance was born in 1984. Throughout his childhood and adolescence, the future was bleak for the white working-class community in the Rust Belt. Like many marginalized groups, they were impoverished and had low social mobility. Many of them married early and bore children at a young age, leading to serial marriages and divorces. School dropouts, alcohol and drug abuse, as well as domestic violence were prevalent. Most people disregarded the importance of education and had never gone to college or university. Generation after generation were stuck on the lowest rung of the social ladder, struggling to improve their quality of life. The memoir focuses primarily on Vance's early life. As he recounts the events of his life, the author is shown to be highly aware and critical of the environment he grew up in. During the recollections, he observes every aspect of his community and wonders, why do people like me have a hard time finding their way out of a hard life? There is a popular yet oversimplified answer to this question, fewer economic opportunities. It is generally assumed that if people get better-paying jobs, their living conditions will improve. Vance, however, disagrees. He believes that the lack of economic opportunities is merely the tip of the iceberg and shares his thoughts in the memoir. The first factor is the changes in the economy and in industries. A decline in the demand for certain jobs often leads to unemployment and poverty. In the past, rust-belt cities like Middletown relied on heavy industry. When the industry thrived, so did the city. Similarly, when the industry declined, the city followed in its footsteps, this has been the case with Middletown since the 1940s. In the 1940s, cities like Middletown embraced the golden age of heavy industry. The rapid development of the city drew numerous impoverished rural workers from the Appalachian region. Many of them moved to such industrial cities in what came to be known as the second wave of Appalachian migration toward the Northeast. During the 1950s, an average of 13 out of every 100 Kentuckians moved out of the state, although the number of out-migrants from other states within the Appalachians was far greater. Upon their arrival, these newcomers took up jobs in factories. These jobs paid well, and the newcomers managed to integrate into the local society. Many of them even made it into the middle class. Among these newcomers were Vance's maternal grandparents, who were important figures in his life. They relocated from Jackson, a mountain town in Kentucky, To middletown ohio at the time they were newlyweds one was 17 while the other was only 14. vance's grandfather jim vance found a job at the steel company armco his grandmother bonnie blanton was a full-time homemaker the couple settled into a comfortable middle-class lifestyle jim loved his job and worked hard earning a wage that his friends back home could only dream of The family home was about 2,000 square feet in size, with four bedrooms and a modern drainage system. To a Jackson native, it might as well have been a mansion. Furthermore, their children did not have to study in underfunded schools with only one classroom. Instead, they attended a proper school with modern facilities. Everything was perfect, and the future was bright. The Vances had given their children a new life, or so it seemed. However, reality does not always follow expectations. Not long afterwards, Middletown and its industries began to decline. It could no longer provide great employment opportunities or bring prosperity for the generations to come. In the 1950s, the wave of migration dwindled, and the population of Middletown hardly changed since then. Although Jim's life was rather financially secure as his company, Armco, remained the biggest employer in the city, he nevertheless noticed hints of change that caused unease among the residents. By the time our author was born, signs of urban decay had become apparent. The commercial district in the city center was no longer bustling with life. Vacant storefronts filled the streets everywhere. The most lavish houses that once belonged to the richest families in the city were left empty and dilapidated, while others were turned into apartments and sold or rented to the poor. Armco Steel was not so lucky either. To stay afloat, they were eventually forced to merge with the Japanese steel manufacturer Kawasaki. This was all due to the decline of the manufacturing industry in a post-globalized America, which led to the disappearance of jobs. For those who were unable to move out of Middletown, seek new careers, or enroll in college for better career prospects, what awaited them would be long-term unemployment. In truth, many residents were trapped in the city, tied down by mortgages for the houses they had purchased years ago. When the city stopped flourishing, property prices dropped. People could not sell their homes or afford to relocate. Therefore, they had no choice but to remain in the city, unemployed, impoverished, and hopeless. Without substantial purchasing power, local businesses fell apart. Poverty and violence escalated. Middletown shrank in population and became a dead city. The Vance family were among those impacted, but other factors aggravated their situation. Even though Jim and Bonnie lived a comfortable, enviable life, the family were secretly in tatters. The couple had three children, Jimmy, Bev, and Lori. Before Lori was born, the family dynamic was relatively harmonious. Vance's uncle Jimmy even remarked that they were a happy, normal middle-class family. However, Lori's birth changed everything. Jim began drinking heavily, hanging out with Bonnie's brothers, and pursuing other women. Bonnie knew about his affairs, and hatred festered in her heart. On top of that, she grew sick of her tedious, suffocating life as a full-time homemaker, which revolved around the children and household chores. Therefore, she often had conflicts with Jim— which sometimes even escalated into physical fights. Once Bonnie, being the feisty farm girl that she was, poured gasoline on Jim when he stumbled home drunk and tossed a lighted match on his chest. If it weren't for their then 11-year-old daughter, who put out the fire, Jim would have been dead or at least severely injured from the incident. Their oldest son, Jimmy, had enough of the fights between his parents. Once he turned 18, he got a job at Armco and moved out of the house. Unfortunately, his younger siblings, Bev and Lori, could not escape the chaos of their home environment. Research has shown that negative childhood experiences often result in psychological trauma that follows us well into adulthood. Many psychology studies point to one conclusion, constant stress alters the chemical composition of children's brains. The part of the brain that processes stress and conflicts remains activated. Even long after the crises have been resolved, the children's fight-or-flight responses remain active. Constantly being in a stressful environment makes a person short-tempered, anxious, and impulsive. Their decision-making and planning abilities, as well as their social skills, are bound to be affected. Traumatized children are more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorder, depression. Cardiovascular diseases, obesity, and even cancer. Many of them struggle at school, and when they reach adulthood, their unstable emotional attachment styles also impact their relationships with others. The adverse effects of childhood trauma were clearly seen on Bev and Lori. Lori did not perform well at school and often skipped classes. She dropped out of high school at 16 and got married shortly afterwards. She was frequently abused by her husband and finally found the courage to leave him when she was nearly 30. Then, she managed to get a job in the radiology department of a hospital and married a man who treated her well. Vance's mother, Bev, had the worst fate among the three siblings, and she passed her misfortune on to her children. Initially an outstanding student with a bright future, she became pregnant at 18 and lost out on a college education. After graduating from high school, she gave birth to her daughter, Lindsay, whom she had with her first husband. Soon, the couple divorced, and Bev remarried and had J.D. with her second husband, only to divorce him when the boy could barely even walk raising two children on her own, she met the man who would become her third husband, Bob Hamill. The family of four settled down for a while and lived in harmony. Bev worked as a nurse, while Hamill was a truck driver. They earned a decent living, and there was hardly any conflict within the family. Alas, their peaceful, idyllic life did not last long. Bev cheated on Hamill with a firefighter, and the couple began having frequent arguments, leading to Bev's third divorce. From then on, she went through a steady stream of boyfriends, each of whom would be a father figure to J.D. at some point. But each time the boy began to warm up to them, they would disappear from his life. This cycle of heartbreak became a constant fixture in his relationships with paternal figures, leaving the boy traumatized. Furthermore, Bev later became an addict, starting with prescriptive painkillers before moving on to hard drugs like heroin. She lost her job and went into rehab. The addiction placed a heavy strain on her relationship with the family. After each episode, she would apologize with tears in her eyes and swear that she would quit. But she never did. His mother's whirlwind romances, mood swings, drug addiction, and tumultuous lifestyle caused Vance to spend most of his childhood in fear. Towards the end of Bev and Hamel's marriage, they often had verbal and physical fights. Vance's grades were affected. He also put on weight and started feeling aches all over his body, these were symptoms of stress and early warning signs of trauma. Still... The worst had yet to come. When Bev's relationship with her fourth boyfriend deteriorated, Lindsay, who had been Vance's companion and ally, got married and moved out of the house. Vance was left on his own. Before long, his academic performance slipped as he skipped classes regularly and did not hand in his homework. His GPA fell to 2.1, and he almost had to repeat freshman year. Even as he entered adulthood, The influence of his childhood trauma was still visible he had anger management issues raging at anyone who rubbed him the wrong way in the slightest he only managed to make a gradual recovery from his trauma thanks to his supportive and understanding wife vance's family was a typical one within his community vance claims that the instability among working-class families seems to be a uniquely american phenomenon The wounds inflicted by toxic families were like curses passed on from one generation to the next. Apart from economic and family factors, Vance highlights another reason behind the rural population's struggle to escape poverty, many of them suffer from a lack of agency, believing that they do not have control over their own lives. That is why they are reluctant to take responsibility for the things that happen to them. When they face hardship, their first instinct is to blame others. For example, in the summer before Vance entered Yale Law School, he got a full-time job at a flooring tile distribution warehouse in his hometown. His main responsibilities included moving boxes of tiles onto pallets and getting the shipments ready for transport. He worked with a 19-year-old named Bob, who had a pregnant girlfriend. The company manager offered Bob's girlfriend a clerical position, in which she had to answer phone calls but the couple were both terrible workers. Bob often showed up late to work and made numerous bathroom trips, each one lasting half an hour, while his girlfriend missed work every other day without advanced notice. When they were eventually fired, Bob yelled at the manager, how could you do this to me? Don't you know I've got a pregnant girlfriend? He never reflected on his own mistakes and instead pinned the blame on the management. Bob's case was hardly an outlier. In cities like Middletown, there were many young men just like him who slack off and do not take their jobs seriously. While their misfortune is largely caused by their attitude, they never acknowledge their own faults. They complain about other people and political problems, believing that they lost out on good employment opportunities because Obama shut down the coal mines and immigrants stole their jobs. Their views regarding talent versus hard work also reflect their reluctance to hold themselves accountable for the setbacks they face, as well as an overall lack of control over their own lives. They always speak of industriousness and recognize it as a key ingredient in living a good life. On closer inspection, however, their actions contradict their so-called beliefs, and they fail to practice what they preach. Vance offers another example of a neighbor, who prattled on and on about the importance of hard work, when in reality, she was always on government support and had never worked a day in her life. In Middletown, 30% of young people work fewer than 20 hours per week, yet none of them ever questions their own attitude towards work. Vance points out that the discrepancy between their actions and beliefs stems from their lack of faith in the value of hard work. To them, hard work is not nearly as important as luck or natural talent. Vance also notes that the people of his hometown generally recognize only two kinds of successful individuals. The first are lucky, they come from wealthy families with connections, and their lives were set from the moment they were born, he writes. The second are the meritocratic, they were born with brains and couldn't fail if they tried. But the members of Vance's community hardly know anyone from the first category, so they automatically place any successful person they come across into the second category. As we can see, to the, ordinary, folks of Middletown, the role of hard work in a person's success is often overshadowed by natural talent. Under this dangerous mentality, when people realize that they are not lucky or smart enough, they will believe that they do not stand a chance at success, and that they do not have control over their own lives. Thus, they will refuse to acknowledge their own role in the misfortunes that befall them. Instead, they target others and create scapegoats. In his memoir, Vance shows us the problems rooted in the psyche of folks in his hometown. But at the same time, he explains that these people used to be different. Vance's grandparents were the epitome of industriousness, they had moved up the social and economic ladder. Their children, however, did not inherit the same value and drive. At the end of the day, Vance believes that the harshness of the real world played a part in this cultural shift, transforming the collective belief within his community. Back then, everyone was paid well and could have a good life just by working hard. Therefore, they had faith in the value of perseverance. Nowadays, as the unemployment rate rises, people find it more and more difficult to participate as functioning members of society. Their attempts to change result in little success. Gradually, they stop believing in independence and diligence, values adopted and practiced by the previous generations. These qualities are thereby lost within the community, replaced by hedonistic consumerism, rage, and distrust. Apart from economic factors, family, and group mentality, Vance also examines the source of the struggle from a cultural perspective. One observer noted that the rural Scotch Irish community is among one of the most stable and unchanging subcultures. They have distinctive traits, including being highly devoted to their families and nation, and taking family honor very seriously. If anyone insults their loved ones, they will resort to violence and beat the offender to a pulp. If anyone cheats on or assaults a female member of their family, they might even kill the offender. To Vance, these traits have both positive and negative sides. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.